Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode, as always, is sponsored by Bet Online. Go check them out. Use the code BLUEWIRE. Get a welcome bonus. It'll be fun for you. It's draft day. Yup, it is draft day. By this time tomorrow, if you're listening to this episode on Thursday, you will know who the Lions have taken in the first round. You will know whether they traded down. All of the speculation, it's over. You will know today what Detroit's first round pick will be. There will be no more speculation. There will be no more mock drafts. When you're listening to this podcast tomorrow, which I hope that you will We'll have analysis of an actual player that is an actual Detroit Lion instead of the guessing game and the speculation that's gone on for months. And honestly, if you can't tell, I'm really, really excited about that. A, because new players to write about, new people to talk about, new people to learn about. But also, if you followed me on Twitter, if you followed me throughout my career, you know I'm not a big fan of speculation. I like being able to write in fact. And fact is coming. So be ready for that. Obviously, a bunch of scenarios can go down today. We'll see what happens. Do the Lions take Jeffrey Okuda? Do they take Derek Brown, who started to get a little bit more buzz? Do they trade down and maybe do something else? Do they have a surprise? Does Bob Quinn, who usually saves his surprises for day two, throw a curveball early in day one, kind of like the Raiders did a year ago with Clellan Farrell? To break all of that down in what could happen in round one, both with the Lions and otherwise, and what this different draft process has been like is my ESPN colleague, Field Yates. He'll be on this show in just a little bit to tell you all about that. It was a fun conversation with a guy that has always been really helpful to me and is one of the nicer guys that I've dealt with in this business. He's always willing to lend a hand, always willing to have a chat, and that is a very, very good thing to have in a colleague. So Field Yates is coming up in just a few minutes on this podcast. It was a really informative conversation. Before we get into that, I'm recording this, by the way, Wednesday morning. So if something's happened late Wednesday night, we'll cover it our early Friday morning here because obviously it'll make some sort of difference. But just one of the things that came out 
Yesterday was a little bit more about Bob Quinn and the Lions draft setup, all of which makes sense. And, you know, it's gotten a lot of buzz that Steve Lancaster, who's the head of IT for the Lions, will be in a mini Winnebago outside of Bob Quinn's home. And frankly, that makes sense. Bob Quinn said on Friday that they're going to have redundancies for everything from power to Internet. And Steve Lancaster's their IT guy. So you want him on site or as close to on site as possible as he can be just in case there is a glitch, just in case there is a problem. Bob Quinn's the guy who more than anyone needs to be able to get right back online really quick. So it makes sense that the Lions would have him right back, right outside, because that's the other thing too. In this age of social distancing, if I'm Steve Lancaster, I don't necessarily want to be in Bob Quinn's home. If I'm Bob Quinn, who has two teenage kids, who has a wife, I don't necessarily want Steve Lancaster in my home unless it's an emergency. And you just have to understand that. Like, It wouldn't shock me if other teams act in similar fashions. Maybe it's not a Winnebago, but maybe it's something else. Or maybe they're in a quarantined room in a house that then gets really cleaned after. That's just part of the deal right now. So... If I'm Steve Lancaster, I'm happy. I've got my own little space. I can kind of do my own thing. I can monitor what I need to monitor. And and hopefully I don't see Bob Quinn at all on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday other than maybe waving at him from a distance if I'm Steve Lancaster, if I'm the Lions. That's what I want. I want Bob Quinn and Steve Lancaster to not really have to interact at any point because that means from a Lions perspective, it all went smoothly and this was just another redundancy that they had to pull off. So that was kind of one of the things that happened in the world of the Lions on Tuesday. So, you know, I think at this point, everybody's just a little bit starved for news, a little bit starved for anything different that's happening. And having Steve Lancaster in an RV is something that, frankly, is a little bit different than you would expect otherwise. Before we get into Field Yates, hope everybody is doing okay. Hope everybody is doing well. I hope you're all hanging in there. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay healthy. Like I've said before and like I talked about with the Lawrence Jackson podcast a week ago, you know, if if you're struggling at all, there's places to go to get help. You can always reach out to me in my DMs. I'm more than willing to, to hear you out. I've been struggling. I've had up and down days. Yesterday was a little bit of a tough day for me just because it's, you know, we're bordering on six, seven weeks. I don't even know how many weeks inside. So that's just part of the deal right now, making it solely through my Marvel movie and Marvel TV series marathon. By the way, Cloak and Dagger from Marvel, if you haven't watched it, it's two seasons long. I watched the first season. Shockingly good. Did not expect that necessarily from a freeform show, but thought it was pretty good. Got Black Panther up next. Probably going to watch that either today or tonight, uh, being Wednesday, day or night. And the hope right now is when I'm done watching all of the Marvel stuff, we're going to have a special Marvel podcast. I've had a couple of people reach out to me saying maybe they would want to have it, like fans that wanted to come on and do that. So that might be a possibility. Might try to get some other guests as well. Don't forget, we're going to have podcasts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, all looking at the drafts, all draft-focused. 
And uh, before we get to Field Yates and right before we have our break, right before Field Yates, just again, the reminder that we usually have a2neighbors.givingfuel.com backslash COVID-19. If you want to help out, help local restaurants feed first responders, everybody help people that need our help and help the people who are helping us right now, consider making a donation to them. It's a really worthwhile thing. And we're just trying to help feed as many people as we can that are on the front lines of the COVID crisis. So we'll be back in a second with ESPN insider Field Yates right after this break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Las Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? Beyond just the draft being on your TV the next few days, no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. Don't worry, I won't be controlling any of the teams. I lost in one of my leagues last night. Still a little bitter about it. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day, all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online your online wagering solution. Now back to our show. My guest on today's Michael Rothstein show has been a friend of mine for a while, really ever since I moved over to the NFL for ESPN. He is ESPN's NFL insider. He's a former scout, and he's one of the most knowledgeable people that you'll find in this business. He is Field Yates. Field, thanks for coming on the show, man. Man, that was such a kind introduction. That like I, I wish, I guess if I ever renew my vows with my wife, what I'll have my brother, my best man, do is just borrow that, and that can be his best man speech, uh, part two. I love that. It was very kind of you to say. Oh no problem. What well, was that? Be- I hope that wasn't better than his actual best man speech. Like that, that's yeah, a pretty brought, low bar. He brought out the best man speech. He definitely brought it. I was very very happy with his best man speech at the time. And, uh, one of those moments amongst many moments during our wedding day and night that I'll never forget. Well, one of our mutual friends is Daniel Dopp. And I, I, if you really want, I can clip that and send it to Daniel. So that way, when the Fantasy Focus podcast comes back, he can maybe use that as your introduction to the Fantasy Focus podcast. That works. I'm, I'm 100% into that. And we got to keep Daniel busy right now, too. Make sure he's staying on his toes. Oh, he's just he's he's just beating me in Madden every time we play. I, I'm keeping him busy there. He's he's it's it's a frustrating time to play him in Madden. Field. Oh man, I did not realize the two you're going at it on Madden. Interesting. Oh yeah, we're in a Madden we're in a Madden league together, man. It's kind of crazy. Like we've been doing it for a few years now. It's uh, he's way he's better than me, and it's very very frustrating because I I don't take losing well. Okay, and now who do you play with normally, or do you just have to mix it up? So we actually, like, we're in a league together, and we, like, did fantasy draft the whole deal. It's really dorky, you know. We, we wholly admit that. It's, like, some of my friends from college, some of his friends, his brother's in it, and basically we draft the whole league and then we go through multiple seasons, um, and we, do, we pick teams randomly out of a hat. So I actually have to play – we're recording this on Monday night. I actually have to play him tonight. And he's going to beat me pretty badly. And I know that because my team is not very good right now. Uh, and his team is much better than mine. But our games are usually close. Like, I'm 
the only one in our group that's beaten him in a while. So I, I take some solace on that, but <laughs> it's a little different, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, obviously the Madden thing happens, but as I was talking about the fantasy draft, there's going to be a real-life draft here starting Thursday. This podcast is going to come out on Thursday. What's your feeling, and we'll just jump right into this field, like what, what's your feeling on how this draft is just going to go, period, because it's so different? Yeah, it definitely is different, and we're having this conversation, Mike. We're actually in the middle of – the NFL's simulated mock draft that's actually taking place literally right now. That began about 90 minutes before we started talking, and there was some Twitter buzz because the NFL immediately had glitches uh, during its mock draft simulation process. Um, and just communicating with someone recently, you know, a few people have conveyed, hey, there were some glitches at the beginning. It's gotten better since. Things are running smoothly now. And frankly, we're actually kind of happy we had some of those glitches. And the reason why is it's better to have them now and sort through them than have them on Thursday. But is it going to be different? Yes. Is it possible that we have some frustrations? Yes. Is it possible that we're not necessarily made aware of those frustrations? That's also possible, Mike, because I don't think anybody, any general manager wants to be on record as saying, oh my God, here of the plight of a general manager during the NFL draft about not being able to execute a trade or something of that nature because of a technological glitch, given the gravity of what's taking place on our globe right now. So it'll be different, but I do have confidence that there is a very good chance that by the time we get to Sunday, the focus will not be, or will not have been on how different the NFL draft was, but the players that are now with their respective teams and the winners and the losers and the grades and things of that nature. It's interesting you mentioned that because for people that don't know, you began your post-college career from Wesleyan as an intern and then a scout with a couple of different teams in the NFL, including New England. From your experience there as kind of, you know, low-level, entry-level on the NFL side, what would this be like for a scout for a mid to low level personnel guy over the last few weeks? Because I'm sure you've put yourself in that position mentally a few times. Like if career, if your career had gone a different way, you'd be, who knows what you'd be doing the next couple of weeks, you know, or last couple of weeks. Yeah, Mike, I think it sort of depends on which role. So for area scouts, for example, area scouts who, you know, each team has a certain number of area scouts. They divide the country into regions and, you know, they assign someone who lives in that area and they go and they scout those schools meticulously throughout the fall. And then again, during the spring, depending on what is available, um, and some coaches block a certain amount of access, et cetera. But, um, you know, they are sort of the, you know, they are basically the, almost like the, the general manager, but the head talent evaluator of their respective region. But during the last few weeks leading up to the pre-draft process, typically NFL teams have one more set of scouts meetings where all the scouts come together and it's sort of final evaluation, which also blends the evaluation of coaches. Because as much as coaches can get involved during the final sort of stages of the pre-draft process, or really just not even just the final stages, but some of the latter stages of the pre-draft process. Remember that up until that point, coaches are focused in on the season. So um, how I think things have been different for them is candidly, Mike, they've had a bunch more time with their family. 
a lot less time on the road. Um, I think a lot of area scouts feel like there are players that when they go to pro days for them, especially some of the top players, that pro day serves to maybe be final confirmation or it's an opportunity to go and see other prospects at that school where some pro days I think are just sort of, you know, they, they don't sway the opinions of area scouts. They might sway the opinions of coaches uh, and general managers, which is why you see so many of them at the big pro days. And I don't mean sway dramatically, but they might influence is probably a better word. So for the past few weeks, Mike, I think a lot of people have been living like a lot of us, a lot more time with their family, um, a lot more time doing some things, uh, that they don't normally have time to do, and then plenty of tape work. You know, the good thing about football is that you got a computer, you can break down tape, and all of these scouts and coaches have a computer. I, I'm curious because you were – I asked Bob Quinn this on Friday, and I've talked to a couple of other people throughout the league about this, that the people who might be impacted the most football-wise by what's going on now are the seventh-round picks and the undrafted free agents because – their time is often in the spring to really show what they have because by the time training camp comes around, like you got guys ready for the season that you know you need to count on. Is that, you think, where maybe guys are going to be hurt the most and maybe some small school guys as well who you don't really know a lot about because they're D2 guys so they haven't been scouted as thoroughly? Yeah, so I think that's a good point there, Mike. And so one of the things that people have been sort of fearful of with this virtual draft process is that there are going to be small school players who won't be drafted. And I'm not saying, not saying every small school player, but, you know, a few small school players who are discovered during the private workout slash pro day process. And that is how they get their entryway um, into the NFL. Um, I don't think, so I think it's possible that some players um, are not drafted, you know, not moved up into the back end of the draft, sixth or seventh round. But I do think that every, not every, but almost every player that we have seen who has gone from off the draftable prospect radar to into the back stages of the draft, sixth or seventh round, was already on teams mind a little bit right so it might have been that you went from a priority free agent after the draft to a seventh round pick or something like that where I do think things are a little bit hairier is you know take any number of undrafted free agents and any team and I don't, I'm not trying to say this is how it's going to work out but if a world exists where NFL teams have zero offseason and go right into training camp and if it's a potentially reduced training camp, how exactly do undrafted free agents make their mark in a short period of time, or even seventh round and sixth round draft picks, who we know in some scenarios could have been undrafted free agents in a way that they have in the past. Last year, guys who went undrafted were arriving to their team. I think the NFL draft was April 25th or 27th last year. So they're showing up at the facility as soon as like April 28th, 29th, and they've got you know, four months to prove they stick. So I think that is the more tangible impact about this virtual draft process and the NFL's reduced offseason. It's just there are fewer reps to show that you belong. Uh, you have your college tape, but it's your pro tape that was really going to secure your case as a potential 53-man fixture. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys wind up on practice squads as opposed to back ends of the 53-man roster. Is it possible that, and 
I feel silly kind of even saying this because, you know, preseason football is what it is, but is it possible that preseason games could actually be way more important this year than other years because of that? Yeah, I think it's a good point, Mike. And I'll just say this is that um, I've always been a believer in um, preseason football. Now, am I against the NFL shortening the preseason as a result of the new CBA? No, I'm not saying that, but you know, I thought there was, you know, there's value in development, Mike. And, you know, we just watched, uh, which I know you watch, and I'm sure many people that are listening to this uh, talk about or watch The Last Dance, which is, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary that just came out, uh, of course, on ESPN, the first two parts did, and it's going to be incredible, the whole 10 part series. And I was reading an accompanying piece that uh, came with, uh, came via Jackie McMullen, the legendary incomparable Jackie McMullen, in which Michael Jordan spoke to her about how, you know, guys used to not believe me, but um, I practiced harder than I played because but practicing the way that I did made it so that I was just reacting once we got to the games. So preseason matters to me. Development and the ability to create good habits and the, real, the, the develop, ability to implement schemes and things like that. So um, I think this is an extra important preseason as a result of that uh, and games specifically because not that we had a ton of additional competitive exposures, but still – I mean, there were more opportunities to evaluate um, last year and every other year preceding this one uh, when we did not have this global pandemic impacting our ability to be on the football field together. When when you look at this draft specifically, it, you know, every team kind of breaks players and prospects down into tiers. Where do you think that top tier ends for guys of like that elite, elite difference makers in this draft? Um, so I think, um, here's what I would say, Mike, is that it's a little bit different from uh, each team's evaluation to the next, but I would just say, I think there's sort of a two man tier, uh, at the top and then there's, but I don't know that it's a, a tier that is as clearly defined as these are the only two guys that are elite. And these are the next set of guys that might, uh, that they're like a tick below, but I think we understand that Chase Young and Joe Burrow in most drafts would be somewhere near the very top of their respective position evaluations, given their ability, uh, clean bill of health, things of that nature, right? Um, I think Tua is a fascinating prospect because of the ability, but, you know, Mike, there's just, and it's easy for me to say this, and I think people get this, but like, you just got to really remember this. It's just like, it's a medical evaluation that has, you know, I mean, it's a potentially, so the third pick in the draft, I don't know specifically what the number will be, but like, we're talking about like close to 30 million in guaranteed money, right? So you got to get that medical evaluation done right. And although teams do have, you know, a lot of information that's being shared and the Titans uh, team position did evaluate Tua um, and gave them, you know, I think everybody who has studied Tua medically up to this point feels strongly about his prospects going forward. At the same time, Mike, like until you have your own set of you know medical eyes on it, it's you know there's an element of surprise of, of not surprise, but there's an element of um, you know there it's not a hundred percent certainty. So, anyways, two is fascinating, and I'll just say that I think Jeff Akuda and Isaiah Simmons. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if either of those guys was viewed one day as the best player from this class. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, we all know about. He's super interesting because of the versatility. Um, I don't know what his best position will be, but I'm not sure that that really quite matters right now. Mike. I think it's important to have a vision of what you do with them, but everybody's vision may be different 
And then Jeff Akuda, I know, I know he's just a one-year starter at Ohio State, but like, I mean, if this guy becomes, and I don't, um, and I'm just using this as an example, but if he becomes like Vaughn Gilmore or you know Jalen Ramsey or somebody of that ilk, like, would it be a worthwhile top three to five pick? I think the answer is pretty obvious. The answer is yes, and nothing's a guarantee in the NFL draft, but I think Akuda's got a great chance to be a legit lockdown number one cornerback for 12 years. So um, I think there's great, great, great potential for those four to five guys. So I guess the tier for me would be, I guess, four and a half, five players. So, all right, you've hit on a couple of players. With Tua, that, that's a decision. If you get that wrong, if you take Tua and because your doctors couldn't look at him, it doesn't work out. He ends up you know, is more of a negative Nancy type thing, but it, injuries end up being way more of a factor. That's a decision that co- might cost you your job if you're a GM or a coach, right? Just to make it clear to people, like, how high stakes that decision is. Yeah, I mean, it's high stakes. You know, I don't know that it'll cost, you know, yes. I mean, I, I guess the, the, the thing is, I don't know about the, I don't know that drafting Tua in a medical uh, failure, if, if, his, if his hip does not hold up, would cost the GM a job, Mike, as, a, as much as, like, it's hard to miss on picks that are in the top five and keep a job. Right. And I think it's, I, I wish there was more patience amongst NFL owners. I also have no control over that. Um, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's part of how you're thinking is that like, if, if I am going all in on Tua and if you look at how the board is shaping up right now, you know, there's a possibility of a trade up. So if you trade up for Tua and that guy and Tua does not become the, the, the guy for good, then sure, it could certainly impact your own personal future going forward. Um, I know it's part of the dynamic, Mike, but I also would say that like a lot of, I think any solid GM is hopefully not making all decisions based simply on survival. I think it's, it's the, the goal, and I know this is not always the case, the goal for a GM, in my opinion, is always to find the balance between short-term success and long-term viability. And I think the really good ones have a deft ability to do that. Um, and again, Sometimes the margin for, for the, between those two is very different, uh, very slight, I should say. But uh, I think the best GMs are able to sort of balance that line. So looking away from two, obviously, two other guys you talked about, Isaiah Simmons and Jeff Okuda, both of them, either one of them could end up with the Lions, whether it's at three or five or six or, as Bob Quinn said, wherever we end up picking. What do you think they do well that could fit Matt Patricia's scheme specifically defensively? And is there one that you look at and maybe throw in the tackles too, whether it's Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw, that maybe you think knowing Patricia and having been in the Patriot system a little bit might make more sense for him than the others? Well, I think all of them. I think all of them make sense. I, I really – so I think – I mean, I know that sounds a little bit ridiculous. but I, you know, that, I should say less specific, but – all right, let's just go one by one. I'll just say what I think of them. So, and I'll, you know, in some order, there's this is arbitrarily decided. But Jeff Okuda, lockdown cornerback, a guy that fills a need. Obviously, Darius Slay being traded was offset a little bit by the Desmond Trufant signing. But still, you need more cornerback depth. Every team does. The Lions are no exception. Uh, elite confidence, certainly a guy that has excellent ball skills. On-ball production is really solid for Jeff Okuda. Uh, reliable, just a good person you're investing in. Um, I think if you look – at Derek Brown, I think the sort of the ceiling for Derek Brown is pick three. I mean, Mike, at some point we just got to stop overlooking some of the details. Like the guy's just an absolute freak. He is just a freak. 
in terms of his physical ability. What he demonstrated on tape was consistently awesome. And I just think that he is uh, a legitimate game-changing interior defensive lineman. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, you know, specific to the scheme, I think the question is, is there a player that you kind of mimic and say, like, that's who he can be? I don't know. I mean, like, there are some people, like, you know, you hear comparisons such as Derwin James. Well, that would be obviously a great value uh, if he becomes Derwin James. You, know, you also hear, uh, you know, the, the the downside of a player that just like really toolsy, Mike, is if he becomes more like Hassan Reddick, right, for the Cardinals, where he's in his fourth year, and although we could do a lot of different things, it never finally sort of fully materialized into one uh, sort of, you know, it's like his, his skill set is unique, but it hasn't necessarily led to one position that you can say, all right, I'm consistently counting on him uh, to be a stud at that area. Now, I think Isaiah Simmons is much better prospect and will be a much better prospect uh, a player than Redick has been I'm just saying that like you got to have a specifically and clearly designed uh, plan of attack for Isaiah Simmons but he would fit he would fit obviously in Detroit um, and then who else I think Javon Kinlaw I could be wrong here I think three probably a little bit steep for him not that he's not an awesome player it just feels like maybe you could sneak back you know, he might be a more uh, popular option if you sneak back uh, a few spots in the first round. And then all of the tackles, Mike, it's, you know, I always talk about quarterbacks being sort of like real estate shopping. And the reason why I mentioned that, here's what I mean by that, is if you go to a block and there are six houses, they're all priced at, a, you know, $100. Um, and you bring five friends, uh, each of you, even though these, these houses are all priced at the same point, and, you know, that would suggest that they have comparable value, each of you may like a different one more than the other, right? So quarterbacks are always that way, too. You know, even if guys that are, quote-unquote, consensus top five quarterbacks, well, a team may only like one of them. I think the tackles, like, it's less so that you only like one of those four. Um, but I do think that each team probably has a different way they stack those top four offensive tackles. It's just a matter of traits and character and things that you're – sort of building into your evaluation. But I think for the most part, uh, any of those tackles would be, uh, you know, huge, uh, you know, I guess, well, I guess a worthwhile value. What, going back to two a little bit and, and with the trade down there, do you, do you think that the questions about his medical would prevent a team from trading up for him at this point where the Lions might also where two, three months ago, they thought they were in a great position to be able to trade down and get maybe a boatload of extra picks, depending what team they traded with. Pickings might be slim for Bob Quinn thir you know, Thursday night after the top two picks where he might not be able to make a move or at least a move that is desirable enough for him to move off a three. Um, I have no idea, Mike. And the reason why I say it that matter-of-factly is, like, let's just go back to last year. And this is almost like a challenge to the listener to this podcast and maybe other podcasts or maybe anybody in general. I'd love to find the legitimate link between the Raiders and Cleveland Furls during the pre-draft process. Who was talking about that happening at pick four? And the reason why I use that example is that no matter how much reporting there's been about what will or won't happen, I have no idea what could happen on Thursday night. And so the initial part of the question was whether I think, you know, a team could trade up for Tua given the medical question. Yeah, I think they could. Do I think it's a guarantee? No idea. No idea. I mean, of course I can't say it's a guarantee. Until Thursday night, we won't know. So, I mean, 
I guess, unless there was a deal agreed to prior to that point. But um, I don't know. And I'm not trying to, like, take myself off the hook here, Mike. I'm just saying that, like, that's part of what makes the draft so special and unique is that despite the fact that we've got a two-and-a-half-month buildup to it, it's all about the element of the unknown. And a lot of that is applies to like the teams themselves. Like, I don't care if you're picking three, 13 or 23 or 33, you have no idea what's going to happen in the picks preceding you. Who is there, is this draft because of like, we were talking about at the top of the show a little bit about not being able to travel, not being able to, to get out there to get a lot of final confirmation. And frankly, scouts not being able to necessarily get together is that you think maybe going to have more variance on draft boards than in other years where there's maybe still some element of question? Yeah. Again, like I don't feel really comfortable answering that for this reason. We, we don't know, like, how do we know what every team's draft board looks like year over year? Right. Like we have a general sense of how draft boards uh, are, you know, how prospects are viewed in the consensus. That's part of the reason why mock drafts are useful to, uh, NFL general managers and uh, coaches who are going through them, right? Like they read Mel Kuyper because they know that, you know, Mel's got a great pulse of the league and that like, you know, if Mel is saying, I'm just using this, using this as an example that, Hey, you know, seems like Patrick Queen's going to be a, you know, off the board by pick 23. Well, that's good context for the teams that are picking 24 through 32. Right. Um, and vice versa. So but that being said, it's not like there's ever a big reveal. You know, it's kind of like playing poker, right? Like, you know, just because you, you may have folded a winning hand or a losing hand, and we'll just never know. So do I think there's more consensus um, in other years? It's possible. I don't know for sure. And, you know, we talk about, like, you know, whether mock drafts will be more difficult to compile this year. Like, I would ask this. When was the last time we were, like, ever that accurate with our mock drafts? Like, I consider anybody who gets, like, three picks in a mock draft in a given year, correct, to be a superstar. So I don't know that this year the draft is less predictable than previous years. I think it's, you know, these are all things that could be true. I don't know that I've noticed a supreme difference up to this point. No, I mean, that makes a total, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, the mock draft process is, as we know, because I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, the NFL nation mock, po- the mock draft will be done, but like, you just don't know. And then if you get one pick wrong, the domino effect is, you know, it could blow up your entire draft, mock draft, totally. that is, not real draft. So, it, yeah, it's incredibly tricky. I, I guess I was just trying to f- get a feel of whether, you know, how much that, that alters thing and how much inside the room on draft night that might play a difference. And, again, maybe that's something we just won't know because we're not in draft rooms except for, like, the small little cameras that don't really tell you anything. <laughs> Yeah, again, I I don't think we'll have any idea. So what I would just say on the draft rooms is that, like, yeah, you can have a perception of where you think players are being valued, Mike, but this is why – and some of the stuff does not play well publicly. It just doesn't. But I'm going to look back to last year and Daniel Jones going sixth overall. And we'll debate the merits of that pick in two to three or four years. I actually think the early returns were pretty good, but maybe that's just me. Daniel Jones went sixth. And people said, well, why did the Giants bother taking him six when they may have been able to have him pick 17, which they also owned as part of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade? You know what? It doesn't matter what you think of uh, whether a player is going to be available or not. If you are invested enough in a player and believe that that player brings enough value to your franchise to help you build the program that you need to build, in in a lot of cases, there is 
no price tag too significant to pay, especially at a quarterback spot, right? So I want to think one thing I do want to make very clear for Lions fans that are listening to this um, is that, as I mentioned, it's possible a trade takes place on, on Thursday night. But you know what, Mike? If, not, if no trade materializes on Thursday or if they, if they end up picking third and they take, just for example, Jeffrey Okuda out of Ohio State, like it's possible that the, the thinking or the, it, the, the reasoning was not because they didn't have a trade offer. It's possible that Bob Quinn thinks, you know something, Jeff Okuda is that good. And if, if you think he's that good and you're afraid of him not being there because you, you know, get an offer to slide down to pick six and you're weary of, you know, the Giants <clears throat> or the Dolphins taking a pick four or five, well then take the kid. Take the prospect that you believe in. And I know that's unpopular sometimes. Uh, like I said, the Daniel Jones pick was panned because of that reason. But you know something, Mike? Think about every year. Go back and revisit how drafts played out and which players resulted uh, in value that aligned with where they were drafted. Go back and look at the 2017 NFL draft. Three years ago, three years ago, and at the time that we are recording this, Mike, at this time, if you look at it right now, 2017, we were talking about Jamal Adams and Leonard Fournette two of the top six picks potentially being traded by this weekend. Meanwhile, another one, Mitch Trubisky, may be benched this year, right? So I know we all get fired up about, you know, extra trade, extra picks and all that stuff. But, like, if you believe in the guy, take the player. You can't let good players get away. Do you think that people forget that because – and you kind of hinted at that people forget that because they're – attracted to the sexiness of a trade whether that's just because that's what it is or because we all play fantasy football now and there's like more of like oh i want to trade blah 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 blah. like it, it, has that changed in somewhat maybe how it's viewed as crazy as that might sound yeah it's probably instant gratification mike now i think it's fair to note that generally speaking there's an element of projection there there's always an element of projection in the draft and certainly the more picks you have the more opportunities you have to find value. Now, that being said, the chances of that player yielding return decrease with every selection you get further towards the back of the draft. That's all intuitive. But, um, you know, I would just say that probably it's a lot of it is prisoner of the moment stuff, right? It's, oh, wow, like instant gratification. Like instead of like, you know, the mock draft said this, like, and I'm not, listen, I do mock drafts too. I'm not trying to undercut those who do mock drafts in any way, shape or form. It's just that, hey, if let's just say, um, Again, I'll use Jeffrey Akuda because he's been the most popular player mocked to the Lions. If there are Lions fans that say, hey, you know something? Like, it would be great if we could have Jeffrey Okuda plus, you know, the Dolphins' second-round pick, which is pick 39, I believe. So five and 39 is better than three. Well, the answer may be, A, what if the Dolphins never made an offer? And B, what if you're like, no. Jeffrey Okuda is that good that we can have him a pick three. We don't want to risk losing him. Like, I just think there's a different level of gratification involved when you get the picks and the play. No, I, I, I'm with you. And I, that makes total sense to me. I, it's just, an, I think it's just people are so conditioned now to like trade back, trade back, trade back. I think every year that Bob Quinn has had a press conference and before that Martin Mayhew, I feel like there have been questions of trade up or trade back. Like every year in the first round without fail. And I'm sure that goes for 31 other teams around the league too of like, what are you going to do? And some guys are way more open about it than others. Has smoke, yeah, you know, but, real, I would say, but, but when people are more open about it or others, like what does that even amount to? Like you can talk about it openly or, or, or be, you know, play things close to the vest and like, 
the reality is unless you get a good offer to move down or move back, you're not going to do it. Right. Yeah. I think it's just a fact that other than probably like the first two picks in this year's draft class, that that's the, those are the only two picks that I personally view as not available. The only two I fit, I, I view. So every GM other than Duke Tobin and I guess Kyle Smith in this case, who's sort of the de facto GM right now for the, for the Redskins. Like when, if you were to ask them, like, do you want to move up or down? The answer is we'll see. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that's, you know, so, some, I think, like you said, are more open than others about saying, yeah, sure. But it's, you have to have a partner in order to do it. <laughs> and, totally. and people, totally. you, you know, and, and I think people forget that. One other thing I'm curious about when it comes to the draft and kind of from what you're hearing and, you know, I've noticed it too, is do you think, feel like there's more smoke screening this year than in, than in other years? I know, you know, we're kind of doing this whole comparison this year to other years, but it's just so different than your typical process that. Um, maybe a little bit more only because, you know, Hey, so let's just say, for example, like, you know, in previous years, there's a little bit of like proof in the pudding, right? Hey, I'm just, again, I'm making this up here. Hey, the, Arizona Cardinals love CeeDee Lamb. Well, in previous years, maybe we said, oh, well, hey, Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury are at Oklahoma's Pro Day, and after it, they spent an hour talking to him, and they wined and dined with him. So uh, it may be a little bit more smokescreeny this year, but I think still, it's, I, don't, I, I feel like every year, and I, I sent this exact text to somebody this morning in the NFL. I said, uh, you know, he texted me something to the effect of, like, you know, it seems like a lot of interesting stuff out there. And I asked him, I said, uh, do you think it's more like, do you think it's more realistic or do you think it's more, you know, bull crap? And, you know, he basically said, Hey, you're guessing as good as mine. Right. So it's one of those weeks where you hear a lot of stuff and you don't know what to believe. And the reality is that you may not figure out whether it's all real or not real, because there are so many different scenarios that play out on Thursday night. So just got a couple more questions for you here. First, when you look at the later rounds of this draft, is there a position you think other than wide receiver? Because I think we all know that wide receiver is incredibly deep. But other than wide receiver, we were like, yeah, I think there's going to be really good value for teams on day three where they can maybe sl- sneak in an instant start, like a plug and play starter or a guy who's going to make a real big day one impact more than one player. Uh, not, not at the level of wide receiver. Um, it's possible that, you know, running back is always that position because there's just, you know, running backs are just, there's always just a higher number of them. And because we've seen so many running backs who have been drafted on day three or even undrafted that have made a mark. Um, I would, you know, I, I don't know about day three. I think there's some interesting safeties in this class. Um, and it's, I don't know if there'd be a lot drafted in the first round. It might be just, you know, one or two, depending on how you defined Isaiah Simmons. Um, Xavier McKinney would be the other one out of Alabama. But uh, there's some interesting guys that might be like second or third round picks that, um, you know, that I think have a chance to maybe be, you know, first year starters uh, or at least third safeties for a team. I mean, I would, I'm imagining that Tyler Chin and Grant Delpit are, are two of those guys in your mind. Um, yeah, Delpit's really interesting because it's a matter of like, which, which year do you invest more in? Do you invest more in 2018 when, he looked like a, you know, a future starter in the NFL, or do you invest more in 2019 when despite the fact that he won the Jim Thorpe award for, you know, the best defensive back in the country, his tape wasn't great. You know, they were awesome. Uh, LSU was, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was because of a lot of other things. And not that Delta was a negative player, but still it's just that he was not nearly the player he was a year before. But 
reminder that when you're drafting, you draft traits. You don't draft production. You draft the traits. And when you draft traits, it's a, a test in discipline. All right, am I looking at the good only? Am I looking at the bad only? No, it's got to be everything. You got to take it all into full account. When you say draft traits, just to explain it to people, are, are you talking throughout the draft or is there a point where maybe production takes over for just, you know, height, weight, speed, agility, vertical, that sort of stuff? All right. So a few years ago, uh, maybe more than that, I take that back, more than maybe a decade ago, there was a guy named Freddie Barnes from Bowling Green. Freddie at the time set the single season, it might have actually been the career mark for NCAA uh, football in terms of catches in a single season, or maybe it was catches over uh, the full career. I mean, it was incredible. The guy had like 600 catches for four years. So something ridiculous, right? And you say to yourself like, oh, wow, like might be, you know, small school guy, but still like you have to do something right. Okay. We got to go back and look at those catches. Mike. You got to look further. At, is it because is it 600 catches because, you know, 250 of them were basically just you know, they're almost extended handoffs. And so what I mean by the traits is you got to look at the traits, explosiveness and, you know, ability to get open, catch the football, run after catch, mental toughness, football character, football intelligence. So um, you can blow me away with all of the um, great, great moves that <clears throat> there are, uh, are, are there are great, great stat lines for a lot of different players, but it's also got to be like, what is the reason behind those stat lines? So always draft traits. And just lastly, because I'm really curious what it, it is for you, because this is, again, different situation for all of us here. What is your draft set up for the next few days? Well, this is running Thursday. So for the next few days, what is your draft set up? Well, for those that might look for some instant analysis, uh, we'll have a Zoom of myself, Nina Kimes, Jason Fitz, and Mike Golick Jr. The four of us hope to provide you guys with a few laughs, hopefully some entertainment and some quality content. Very much looking forward to that. So are you going to be like, do you have a home office you're going to be in? Are you going to be on the couch? Is, yes. is the new, is the yeah, new puppy I'm, going to be showing up? <laughs> the new puppy is working on his mock draft right now. We've got a couple of surprises in the first round. But yes, we'll have it all involved. And uh, I will be in the home. It's not really a home office. It's more just a corner of our living space. We live in a one bedroom apartment in Boston. We do not have much square footage. So I just have a corner that has been dedicated as the football sanctuary. <laughs> well, Field, enjoy the time in your football sanctuary over the next few days. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, really, really appreciate it. All right, thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. like to thank my guest, Field Yates, for coming on the show. Field is going to be very busy in his home corner office setup. I'm going to be obviously busy in my chair slash home office slash living room setup over the next few days. We're going to be covering the draft from top to bottom, from pick one to Mr. Irrelevant. It's going to be super fun. We're going to have podcasts for you every day. Hopefully you enjoy them. Depending on what happens and who they take, going to try to maybe get some really quickie guests too but no promises there but we'll have podcasts friday saturday sunday and monday for you covering the draft and thanks as always to the people who helped put on this podcast my producer david woodley regents field blue wire and bet online our sponsor for this episode as always 
consider giving us a five-star review if you can. More importantly, download, subscribe to this podcast if you like what you hear. And don't forget, once we come out of the draft, we're going to be going back to our interview guest format. So think of people maybe you want to hear from. Let me know, and we'll reach out and see if they'll be willing to come on the show and, and chop it up a little bit. So, you know, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up, but the more you download, the more you subscribe, the more you're tell- you tell your friends to do so the more this podcast is able to do in the future. So with that, we'll see what happens in the first round tonight. Super exciting. Looking forward to it. And we'll talk with you tomorrow. <laughs>